You talking to me? time again for year-end lists and we are no exception welcome this is the screening room podcast she is hope madden he's george wolf and we are from madwolf.com we are definitely going to get to our 10 favorite movies of the year but overall you know just looking at the year in movies 2016 what comes to mind one of the first thing that jumps out to me is it was a great year for animation it was it was Kubo and the Two Strings, of course Zootopia, which is one of my favorite films of the year. Yeah, just outside our top ten, it's right up there. I loved it too. Moana was great. Moana, Finding, Finding Dory. Dory. Yeah, it was it was a really good year for animated yeah, films. Good year for animation. Also a good year for our favorite genre, which is horror movies. Yeah, start off strong with The Witch. The Witch came out early in the year, and then and then wound up strong with a movie called The Eyes of My Mother. Yeah, plus some some big box office ones. Green right? Room. Green Room. We loved Don't Breathe. Don't Breathe. Uh, the Wailing, which mm-hmm. is a foreign film, it's but a foreign film. Yeah, kind of a it's horror a great, vibe. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, yeah. yeah. So a good year for horror. And even if, if you count it, and we 10 Cloverfield Lane, yeah. mm-hmm. also one of mm-hmm. our favorites. So mm-hmm. a good year for there. And you also thought it was a strong year for women in film. It, you know, it really was. Uh, there are so many. You know, it's not very often that I think the tightest race for the Oscars is Best Actress, and mm-hmm. I believe that it will be this year. I think Viola so, Viola Davis was great in Fences. Um um, Natalie Portman was oh, great yeah. in Jackie. Emma Stone in La La Land. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Annette Bening in a movie called 20th Century Women. Um, and Michelle Williams has two. And uh, Amy Adams has two. I mean, yeah. there's just, it's, You're right. it's tight. It's, yeah. it's a tough, but you know, it's, it's just such a great trend. I'd love to see it continue next year. <laughs> and I think, at least for us this year, we didn't see as many foreign films as usual one that we did love well we mentioned the whaling we love the handmaiden oh yes it was so gorgeously filmed it was a super weird movie chan wook park one of our favorite directors yeah you know and it's just anything he does i'm all in it looks fantastic it it's got these twists and turns so yeah the handmaiden was a, a favorite foreign and film. another one another foreign film we loved um under the Shadow, yeah. an Iranian film. Yeah, another spooky, horror movie. Yeah, spooky, more spooky than outright yeah. horror, but yeah. but very, very well done. Very well done. And a couple of docs of note, uh, ESPN's 30 for 30, the five-parter you've probably heard about, OJ Made in America, fantastic. And also on a similar theme, uh, Ava DuVernay, who last year, or, couple well, a couple of years, years ago, yeah. Did Selma. Selma so so good? She did a documentary mainly for Netflix mm-hmm. called Thirteenth, yeah, which was about mass incarceration in the United States. Just just fantastic, just an essential piece, uh, really an essential history lesson. I yeah. thought uh, for documentaries. So that's just a, a well, quick. Well, you know what? I just went throughout a couple, a yeah. couple rock docs. Oh, that yeah. I loved this year. One yeah. was called Gimme Danger. So Jim Jarmish made a film mm-hmm. about the Stooges, Iggy Pop and the Stooges, not the Three Stooges. <laughs> and then there was another one called Zappa on Zappa, which I just loved as well. So if you're a Frank Zappa fan, you got to look that one up. And another one, there was a documentary on Oasis. That's right. That I really enjoyed. Now, I'm not, I'm not a, I didn't go into it, I'm a huge fan of no. Oasis. I know a couple of their songs, not a big fan, but I really enjoyed that one too. Right. Um, so yeah, you're right. There's some good rock docs. So all in all, some some things to to like, even if these films didn't make our top ten. Yeah. And also, there's some. There's always those overlooked gems where you think they just didn't get enough audience for one reason or another. And I'll throw out there a couple. Uh, the Birth of a Nation um, was a big movie, got a lot of attention, but at, at first anyway. But I don't think hardly anybody went to see it, and I thought it was really solid. Um, also, Krisha. Uh, very, very under the radar. Fantastic movie. 
and Southside with You, I think I've mentioned on, on this podcast before. Just a movie about the first date of Barack and Michelle Obama. Very quiet, very dialogue-driven, and just fantastic. So those kind of flew under the radar, along with, you had a couple as well. Oh, yeah. You know what I loved was The Nice Guys. Uh, loved that movie. I did, too. I laughed and laughed, and very few people saw it. Another one that I really thought was very charming and fun is Everybody Wants Some. Yeah. Uh, Richard Linklater's sort of ode to 1980 and baseball. And then another one that not enough people saw that I adored is called Midnight Special. That one did kind of slipped through the cracks. That's by Jeff Nichols, one of our favorite filmmakers, who I think we're going to be talking about a little bit more <laughs> here in a bit. But uh, yeah, so definitely one. And we should mention a couple of blockbusters that didn't make our top 10, but we really did like Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, Strong, and Deadpool. Yeah, uh, I love Deadpool. Deadpool was super fun. You know, and those were two of the biggest money makers. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they were good. Good stuff. So at least a couple of the blockbusters came through. So that's just a quick um, bubbling under the radar as we get to our top ten, and we'll jump in with one, well, we just mentioned, uh, Jeff Nichols, who did Midnight Special. His other big film this year comes in at number ten for us, and it's called Loving. Richard Perry Loving being a white person and Mildred Jeter being a colored person did unlawfully cohabitate as man and wife. Richard! I believe this is a battle that could go all the way to the Supreme Court. Is there anything you'd like me to say to the Supreme Court justices of the United States? Yeah. Tell the judge I love my wife. So speaking of of great performances by women, I would be surprised if Ruth Negga did not get an Oscar nomination for for her portrayal here. She should. She should. This centers around a true story of Mildred and Richard Loving, uh, in 1958, they were the basis of the case that went all the all the way to the Supreme Court and made it illegal to ban interracial marriage. That's right, and it's you know it's such an understated film that I think that frustrated a lot of viewers. But it's you know for me, it uh, I loved the way they just portrayed this family as so absolutely normal yeah and that made the whole thing that much more fascinating to me it's just because they're you they're everybody there's nothing unusual about them why would we want to keep them apart it's a beautiful film yeah as you mentioned ruth nega is fantastic and joel edgerton mm-hmm. is is also very good he's proven to be really a solid yes. talent agreed and the thing about this movie you're right it's so quiet but then as it as it goes on and it's so understra- understated you really get the feeling they did that Jeff Nichols did that because that's the type of people they, they were. were. You absolutely do get and that. And it reflected the couple and their quiet strength in seeing this through. So, yeah, very, very well done. And that is number 10 on our list, Loving. And coming in at number 9, it's called Jackie. People like to believe in fairy tales. Don't let it be forgot that for one brief, shining moment, You could say this is a biography of Jackie Kennedy Onassis, but not really. I mean, she is the subject, but, you know, for years she was probably the most famous woman in the world. And how do you tackle a subject like that? Well, the best way to do it is to zero in. Pick a focus. Pick a real specific focus. Well, they sure do. And that's what director Pablo Lorraine does, and it, it really comes out... It just almost deconstructs the movie biography and builds it back up again in type kind of a surreal way. Yeah. And it just focuses on 
the days after the immediacy after the assassination of JFK Mm -hmm. and how she handles it and what she has to go through as she not only honors her husband, reassures her children, and thinks about her future. And there are some flashbacks. There are some great scenes as she's giving an interview with a journalist who's, who's never named, I don't think. He's never no, given he's a not, name. No, he's not, but Billy Crudup plays him. Plays wonderful him. performance. Yeah, wonderful. It's just really, it upends what you think a, a, a biopic is. Mm-hmm. And it and it's, talk about, you talked about the yeah. best actress. I think Natalie Portman has to be right now, I would she say, the front runner you think for an so? Oscar. Yes, I she, do. She is fantastic. And it's, it's really like no other movie biography I think you've ever seen. No. And it's just the perfect way to approach a subject a, a personality like mm-hmm. Jackie Kennedy mm-hmm. uh, that's so iconic in pop culture and history and uh, it's just a got a laser focus about it and I think that's one of the things that makes it work so Jackie is number nine number eight we are continuing a trend George here is another I think Oscar contender for best actress and as well I think an Oscar contender for best actor it says Denzel Washington directed Fences now, don't you go through life worrying about whether somebody like you or not. You best be making sure that they're doing right by you. You understand what I'm saying? Everything that boy do, he do for you. It's not easy for me to admit that I've been standing in the same place for 18 years. Well, I've been standing with you. I gave 18 years of my life to stand in the same spot as you. Yeah, this one just came out uh, on Christmas Day, Christmas I think. Day. So mm-hmm. we just talked about this. On the podcast very recently, but yeah, Denzel directed, uh, and Denzel and Viola Davis, they start on this on Broadway. In 2010, the revival of the 1985 play. Yes, yeah, a play by August Wilson, I believe Pulitzer Prize yes. winning play. Po- so, and Tony as well. So you know the source material is fantastic, and you can tell how much reverence Denzel has has for it, because he really changes almost nothing. It, yep. it it lives and breathes just like a play it on does, screen. Does. But that's okay um, because that he, I'm sure you get the feeling he didn't want to dilute any of the power of this. And as you mentioned when we talked about it before, he keeps it very confined. Yes, which which speaks volumes about the the characters and the themes. And I think really benefit the film benefits overall for his not opening up the sets, not opening up locations. Uh, Denzel plays a 1950s garbage man in Pittsburgh who had been a former athlete, played some uh, baseball, some Negro League baseball. And he has something to say to everybody about everything. He does. And then there's he has a, a troubled relationship with his son, one of his sons. And there are some other relationships that come into play. And Viola Davis plays his wife, who has stood by him all this time and has a quiet strength about her. And the performances, not just the two leads, the the ensemble, yep. uh, including a guy named Stephen Henderson, who you would know his face, uh, and he he, is, he plays uh, Denzel's best friend mm-hmm. in this, and he's, he's fantastic, the whole ensemble. Yes, it does resemble a play on screen, but what a play. You and, know, I mean, I don't think you should take anything away from it visually. It's a gorgeous film. Oh, it, it is. really is. The cinematography is. is fantastic. Oh, my God, beautiful. Yeah. You know, the colors pop. I mean, it's just, it's it's really, really well made. Yeah, so number eight, Fences, on our list of the top ten of 2016. And moving up to number seven, this was such a great surprise because I was so afraid. <laughs> you it were. It was going to be ruined, and boy, it was not. And it's The Jungle Book. Poor sweet little cub. Let go of your fear now. Trust 
I suppose like many people, I hold a special piece of my childhood for The Jungle Book, the original. I loved it so much. And this is a reimagining director, John Favreau, uh, and it's a mostly CGI, but then live action. Mowgli is the live action actor. I think almost the rest of it, all of it is CGI, correct? Uh, as far as I know, yeah. yeah. Obviously, the animals are. Yeah. And it looks utterly fantastic. It really, you, really does. Great cinematography, great depth. You really feel the the layers of the jungle as mm -hmm. you go deeper and deeper. The voice cast is outstanding. Bill Murray and Christopher Walken and Idris Elba and Lupita Luongo and Scarlett Johansson, they're all fantastic. And I think the thing it does better than anything is that it makes its own path at the same time it hits just the right amount of homage to the original and what people like myself hold dear. Yeah. There was just enough of that. There, there really was. Uh, and, and songs, they're different, but they pick up on things. I mean, it's, I think it's almost impossible not to love this film. And you really get the feeling that the CGI, he had, they had all these toys to work with, mm -hmm. but it doesn't feel like it's just for Flash no, and just not for show. All. No, They are rich characters. They're rich settings. The story is good. The suspense is good. There's magic on screen, but they don't forget that there's magic in the story. Right. And that's what makes it such a great, great movie and such a, a wonderful surprise that they added so much to it. And that's The Jungle Book, number seven on our list of the top ten films of 2016. And moving up to number six, one that we, we've been beating the drum for this movie <laughs> for how long? And uh, boy, with good reason. And it is The Witch. You've cursed this family. Witchcraft. Yeah! <laughs> she placed a curse on me. Why have you turned against me? I saw it. You're right of evil. It's not safe. Not with them. The girl license. Just an impeccably crafted film. You know, from the opening sequence to the close, you know. Robert Eggers, he wrote it, he directed it, he had a hand in, in, in everything visually about the film. And it just, it has such a, a ring of authenticity to it. it and also an intimacy as you, as, you, as you sit with this family while just tragedy after tragedy befalls them and they look to... You know, the supernatural, to supernatural forces, to sin, and, and, and as soon as you think it's one film, it is not. It's another film completely. It, it's just a masterfully crafted film. Yeah, if you look into the, the lengths he went to in building this film, he based a lot of it on real journals of the time. And, and journals and descriptions of the Salem witch trials and things that the people of this uh, era believed and how they treated these supernatural uh, occurrences or beliefs in witches. And it, it is just fascinating. It's a slow build. Now, it turned a lot of people off, that horror movie buffs, I guess, or fans that like a certain type of horror movie that this is not. Well, and I think a lot of art house people expected it not to be a supernatural film, yeah. and it is. So it, for some people, it, it lives in that... No Man's Land that was disappointing on some level to two different crowds, but boy, not to us and not to a lot of others because we so appreciated the intelligence of it yep. and how it, it delivered a just a, a, a creeping dread and how evil can take hold and prey on people 
even if they are trying their best, or at least saying they're trying their best, to avoid it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's fascinating, and it leads to, uh, I think, a very good payoff. Oh, agreed. Yeah, so... Uh, I love this movie. <laughs> we definitely do, and that is uh, The Witch, number six, on our top ten of 2016, moving up to the rare air, the thin air, at number five, this is actually your favorite. Your it number is. one. It is indeed. This would be year. my number one film of and 2016. It, and it is called Hell or High Water. They took everything from your family. This is your chance to take you back. On the ground! Paying them back with their own money. Well, if that ain't Texan, I don't know what is. You hear about these bank robberies? I may have one hunt left in me. <laughs> Director David McKenzie just does a phenomenal job with this. I mean, and and, and he's working from a, from a screenplay from Tyler Sheridan who also wrote Sicario. He's working from a screenplay from Taylor Sheridan who also wrote Sicario, yeah. one of my favorite films of last yeah. year as well. And you know, what the two of these people know how to do is is give every body on the screen a character yeah. you know and so you've got these four main characters it's basically a modern western it is it really you know, is you got the two brothers who are robin banks you got the two texas marshals who are after them all four of them brilliantly performed uh but then every single extra every cameo every walk-on they are all fascinating and human and the way he sets up every shot it's mm-hmm. almost it's a postcard of, of melancholy, nostalgic ideas of manhood. It is a beautiful movie. I yeah. would love to see Ben Foster nominated for an Oscar for his his uh, performance as the uh, the brother. Mm-hmm. Chris Pine is the main character, and you've been high on Chris Pine a lot longer than I have. I think he's I think he's charming. I think he's fun. I think this is the first film where I thought because he's he's. He's in with a master class of performers oh, yes, here, and yes. I thought, yeah, he more because than holds his own. Jeff Bridges plays Jeff Bridges. the uh, the main sheriff coming after him. Yeah, I've all I thought since day one, really, Chris Pine had just that movie star charisma. Yeah, that's what you've but, said. But he is by this is the best he has ever been. Absolutely, he is, you're right. He's in with the big leagues mm-hmm. right now in this movie, and he holds his own. And yeah, it looks fantastic. Again, uh, this is one that has some great cinematography to it. Uh, the direction, the framing, the pace. Yeah. How things just play out in their time and and the writing. You're right. Taylor Sheridan is really making a name for himself. Yes. He's a top notch writer, and it is. It's a modern day western, and uh, one that you should not miss. Number five on our list is Hell or High Water, and at number four, this well, this could probably maybe lead the overlooked, the overlooked <laughs> pack. I don't know how many people saw this. I know it did get a lot of attention because it got such great reviews, including from us. Number four is The Lobster. Did you read the leaflet? Yes, I did. As you understand from your brother's experience, if you fail to fall in love with someone during your stay here, you'll turn into an animal. As an animal, you'll have a second chance to find a companion. Now, have you thought of what animal you'd like to be if you end up alone? Yes, a lobster. A lobster is an excellent choice. It's hard to describe this film. It's it's strange. It is. It's set in a world where it is literally a crime to be single. And if you are, you're sent away to this the hotel. Right. And you have a certain amount of time to find a mate. And if you don't, you're turned into the animal of your choosing. And Colin Farrell, when he checks in, he chooses a lobster. And then some strange things happen, and they meet some resistors of this whole social setup out in the woods and it gets weird but it's funny it is it's surreal it's a surreal social commentary it really is really on the laws of attraction 
And uh, but not it's only the so laws, funny. Not only the laws of attraction, but our motives in following mm-hmm, them. That's mm-hmm. I think when it really gets its power. When it starts to subtly turn into asking these disquieting questions, that's when it really sinks in. And it's by a, a filmmaker named Yorgos Lanthimos, and I hope I pronounced that right. <laughs> but uh, he's the director, and boy, what an original type of work. And there's it's a great ensemble cast. It's not only Colin Farrell, it's Rachel Weisz, who has had a great year this year. Yes, she has. Uh, it's a, you've also got John C. Riley mm-hmm. in this, and some other uh, famous faces and great character actors and actresses that make up a, a fantastic ensemble. But it is it, it's funny, it's original, it looks great, and it is a nice bit of of social commentary. Really unlike social commentary, really unlike anything that you've seen this year. Oh. It's just bursts with originality. Yeah, it does. And even down to the the settings, look like places that familiar, but at the same time. Look like nothing you've ever seen before. Absolutely. And to pull that off is just a great, great feat. And I loved it. Just loved it from start to finish. And this one came out somewhat early, early in the year. year yeah. But boy, it's it's held up. And it was always near the top of our list. And it checks in at number four for the year. And that is The Lobster. And at number three, another one that just came out a few weeks ago. And I anticipate some Oscar nominations for this movie. Absolutely. And it's called Manchester by the Sea. You don't want to be my guardian? That's fine with me. Not that. It's just the logistics. All my friends are here. I got two girlfriends, and I'm in a band. You're a janitor and Quincy. What the hell do you care where you live? I've said a lot of terrible things to you. My heart was broken, and I know yours is broken, too. No, you don't understand. There's nothing there. That's not true. This is one of Michelle Williams' uh, two great performances this year. Uh, and, you know, she's got very little screen time. And, man, she burns through the celluloid when she is on. Um, and, you know, she's the ex-wife of the main character who's played by Casey Affleck, who will undoubtedly get a nomination for Best Actor. He's got to be the front runner. Well, uh, uh, Between and him and Denzel, yeah. I think that's, they're probably neck and neck right now. But, it, you know, it's a film about, it's a film about grief. It's it is. about loss. Mm-hmm. But it's, um, you know, I think it's a more honest family style. This is how you... You cope, and it's you, also you get stuff done, and it's also and, surprisingly funny. It's very funny, but you know, here's now here's one of the things. This is an Irish Catholic family. It rang very true to me. A lot of it, I and mean, we never dealt with anything nearly this this severe. But so much of the way they just go about their day and they say funny, mean things to each yeah. other, it, it just really, it really rung true. And it, you don't get all the answers right away. You, it brings up questions about what's happened to this family mm-hmm. and as you slowly start to learn and start to find out, and then when you finally see the big thing, it, it feels like that, that could have happened. Yeah, yes. Uh, and, 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 you know. It just breaks your heart. And, and, and uh, Casey Affleck, who's had some, who's had some personal problems, and he, he seems like maybe not that likable a human being, but good God, he's wonderful in this movie. He's so good. And there's one scene particular, in particular between Casey Affleck and Michelle Williams that is just one of the best scenes of the year. Yeah, absolutely. It will just devastate you in a good way. As this movie does, you're right, it feels so real. It's so sad, so draped in grief, but yet so funny and is dealing with family issues and how you don't want to, you want to break the cycle of passing certain things down to the next generation Mm. and, and find hope even when the worst that life can bring comes up mm-hmm. and and that is what this movie does and it's fantastic it's manchester by the sea number three on our list our top 10 for the year 
And number two, we talk about favorite movies of the year. I know this came in at number two, but if this makes sense, it's still my favorite movie of the year, and it's La La Land. Yes, you are. Maybe I'm not. It's like a pipe dream. This is the dream. It's conflict and it's compromise. It's very, very exciting. Just two hours of smiling <laughs> is what it was from the opening scene. I remember because I saw this first you before did. you did, and I just sat there. I don't think I wiped a smile off my face <laughs> for two hours. It's it's the latest from writer director Damien Chazelle, who did Whiplash, that we love so much, so much, and this shares. A lot of aspects with Whiplash. It's but based, not the tone. Not the tone. It's based in music, based in jazz, based in dreams. But there's absolutely no cynicism no. whatsoever. This is heart on my sleeve territory. We love dreams. We love dreamers. We love old music and old movies and young love. And this is, it's just the perfect poster child for they don't make movies like that anymore oh and and uh, the you know Chazelle's use of color oh. it's so beautiful it's so vibrant and and you know the way he stages the the, the opening dance number all of the dance numbers and you know uh, unlike you I am not a fan of the musical I know to be honest but it's I, I think that this this movie cannot help but charm you but you know what else and here's one of the things I like about this film more than most musicals that I've seen it's really incredibly well written and I don't mean the music yeah the storyline although it the music is catchy yeah the music is catchy but the storyline doesn't just hand you what you want it really doesn't and at the same time it, it's incredibly satisfying and it's not easy to do what he's doing in no. fact uh, Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone are the two leads, and they're just fantastic. Perfect. And Ryan Gosling, by the way, does his own piano playing, mm. and very well. But uh, at one point, his character says, nostalgia is hard, and that's the point. Right. It is hard. To make a movie like this be this good is hard. Mm -hmm. Other people have tried. In fact, Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone were in a movie called Gangster Squad not too long ago that was awful. Awful. And it tried to do that sort of throwback feel. Yeah. This one just gets everything right. Really As you does. said, the look, the color, the intentional relevant backdrops. Oh, What's yes. going on in the background? Yeah. What, uh, not a frame is wasted. Not a frame is wasted, and it's just, it's joyous. It's just a joyous, uplifting experience from start to finish, and that is number two. You but know what? It's fun to spend the whole podcast just talking about films we love. We haven't is. said one mean thing yet. <laughs> it is. That's number two, but still my favorite movie of the year, and that is La La Land. Moving it up to number one, such an experience, such an incredible moving experience. It's called Moonlight. Who is you, Sharon? I'm on time, try not to remember. At some point, you gotta decide for yourself who you're gonna be. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. One of the first things I thought coming out of this movie, there's not too many films you see and you think, you know what, I'm a better person. I'm a better human being for having seen that movie. And that's what I thought about this. It moved me so much. It's, it's, it's just beautiful is what it is. And it's, a, it's a, a, a biography told in three acts. You get three different actors. One is a little boy, one is an adolescent, one is an adult. And they're all great. It's, it's, it's astounding how good the performances are for these three people. And what an amazing job all three of them do of 
being the same person at a different stage of his life. And and but also the story that the filmmaker crafts with each of these three and how they build on the other and how I mean it's it's magnificent and it's so sad. It's so tender and at the same time it's really very uplifting. Yeah, it's only the second feature from writer director Barry Jenkins and he's he adapts a play that I don't think was ever actually produced. Right. Which is actually bringing an interesting question up come Oscar time as to whether this is an adapted, adapted or- screenplay or an original. I, I tend to think it's an adapted screenplay, yes. but we'll see. Anyway, he's adapting this uh, unproduced play called In Moonlight, Black Boys Look Blue. And it, as you said, it's in three acts, and it uh, covers the life of a African-American gay man who came up from the drug scene, in around the drug scene, in and around Miami. Mm-hmm. And it features, not only, you mentioned the three actors that, that play the same character, but the ensemble, Naomi Harris, plays the boy's mother. You've got a great, great performance by a guy named Mahershala Ali. I think that's how you pronounce his first name. Uh, you've probably seen, I think he was on one of those shows, one of the cables like The Wire or one of those shows that we don't watch. But that's where he's, <laughs> he's uh, most known as. He is fantastic. I hope he get some Oscar consideration, but it's such a great piece of filmmaking because it lets moments breathe. Uh, This filmmaker, Barry Jenkins, is so confident in what he's doing, he just lets them breathe and lets these certain situations and shots speak for themselves in such a a quietly meaningful way. And do you know what else I really loved about this is that no character is in and ever at any point treated like a stereotype. And you know mm-hmm. what I think is fascinating is you get to the point where you don't even realize how used you are to stereotypes, you know, because for for example, perhaps the loveliest and and most engaging character in the entire film is the drug dealer. Mm, yes. He's probably the nicest person in the movie and it's yeah. it's just fascinating uh, the way he does uh, explode stereotypes like that. Yeah, so it definitely deals with broken homes and the the crack epidemic and what the kind of uh, social ills that came out of that. But it also deals with something that you just haven't seen in hardly any mainstream movies, and that is African-American gay issues gay identity in African-American characters. I mean, particularly in this kind of a, of a social context yes. where, you know, he's a, he's a, uh, an only child in a, in a very tough neighborhood, you know? Um, and, and so it, sort of these questions of masculinity mm-hmm. and manhood are so central to who he is as a child, you know, is he a thug and is he, and, and, you know, and, and it's such a tough neighborhood where he does get beat up. I mean, it's, and it's, I mean, the performances will make you weep, yeah. but but it's, stick it out because, yeah. oh my God, it's worth it. It's so moving. And I also love the use of music. R- really love the use of music. There's one certain song, I don't want to give it away, that they use to such great effect. A pretty famous song. So many things are done just impeccably in this movie by Barry Jenkins, the uh, writer-director. And I can't wait to see what he does next because uh, if this is any, indi- any indication, he has a real touch with... Saying more with less, which, as you know, is always my favorite yes, thing is. about a movie. And that is number one for 2016. It's called Moonlight. Seek it out if you can, if you haven't seen it already. All right, so what was your favorite? What did you like? Didn't you like? What do you think of these choices? Let us know. The easy way to keep that conversation going is on Twitter. We are at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook. Hit us up. We're Mad Wolf Columbus on Facebook. Always glad to hear from you. And this is always such a fun thing to 
to debate. It you is. know, what are your favorite movies? What did we leave out? What did you not think was was worthy? And um, hopefully, we'll get get a good conversation going. But uh, next week, we're back. We've got a couple new releases coming out next week, including Hidden Figures, which is another historical drama, uh, co-starring uh, Traji P. Henson, Octavia Spencer, and uh, Kevin Costner as well. So that's one of the new releases uh, next week. We'll be back with that. So until then, the Screening Room Podcast is a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group and MadWolf.com. I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And this is the Screening Room Podcast, best of 2016. Happy New Year. I do wish we could chat longer, but... I'm having an old friend for dinner.